in the good times or the bad times, God, you are on the throne. How many times I have prayed that? Oh, we haven't even gotten the message yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I am. I, I, I just, just do that. I'm not asking. But if you want to applaud, yeah, go ahead, man. I, whatever you want. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I, I just think meeting together as God's people in his church is something that's not only critical for me and for you, it's critical, I think, for our neighborhood, for our world. I do. We meet as a community every Sunday to worship. We pray, we sing, we praise, we open up God's Word. We are teaching families to obey and to enjoy Christ. Wow. Last week, we focused on what and who is the church. We've got one more part to this series next week. But this week, we're going to hone in on the early church in Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, ask that you would be such a part of our service. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm so grateful that you have received the adoration and the praise, probably not even what you've deserved. But we're trying. We're trying to adore you and worship you. And God, sometimes in our lives, it's just hard. You seem distant. You seem like you're not very active. But God, you are on your throne. And you do oversee all of the activities of our world. We don't understand what's going on in our nation at times. We don't understand why our city responds in certain ways, why school boards make certain decisions, why our places of employment are times of turmoil, and even why our church doesn't at times respond like a family. So God, we just come before you. We not only pray for our people, we pray for all those churches up and down the road here, all in these suburbs, in Lake County, and McHenry County, and up in southern Wisconsin. Lord, we know there's other churches, other places, but, but this is the place you've called us to be salt and light. And so we do pray, Father, that, that you would be with the chapel McHenry. And my friend Jeff, as he leads that church. I pray, dear Father, that you would be with Grace Point and Pastor John. And we just know, God, that, that you're going to do something special, not only in those churches, but in this church today. So we thank you, and we love you. In your name, amen. Just so I'd start off today just asking you some questions. How's it going? How's life been? Has it been a good week for you? Has it been a hard week for you? Did you sleep well last night? Were the people friendly 
when you walked in. Were they? Did they greet you well? Was there any trouble at all finding the children's ministry areas here? Like when you went there, did people greet you by name? Were, were they kind to you? How are the chairs you're sitting in? Are, are they comfortable? A little lumpy? Are they good? I bet they're probably good. A little better than the pews I, I guess you used to have. All right? What about the temperature in here? Ah, come walking in. Sometimes it's too cold. Sometimes it's too warm. I'm a little warm up here this moment. But how are you feeling about all that? What about the bulletin? Is there a typo or two? Is the font too big, too small? Are the colors okay? Are they okay? Because really, um, we, we just need to know those things. Is it too hard to read? Is it mixed up? Maybe we need a different format in there. What about the service so far? Did you stand too long? Was the music a little too loud? A little too soft? Ah, were you waiting for a hymn? Were the words okay? Hmm. What about the prayer and the scripture? And sometimes we even have communion if you've been around here. Do you realize that sometimes we don't have communion with men standing up here with tables? Like, do you think it's really communion if we don't do that? And giving. Rick always talks about giving. And he talks about the joy of giving, how wonderful it is, and how the kingdom moves forward. Do you, do you think maybe we as our church, we just talk too much about giving? He always after our wallets. <laughs> how about those sermons? Holy schmoly. Could the guy tell a little bit more story? Could it be a little bit shorter? Does he have to go on and on and on? How about some more personal stuff? Could we go deeper? It seems a little bit shallow. Or it seems way over my head. Wow. You know, if we could only meet all those needs. You say, oh, Rick, our church is not like that. And, and really, it's probably not for the most part. But you see, I've been a pastor a long time. And I am telling you, there are so many people who have so many opinions on what the church actually is and what we should do and how we should re react and respond. But if you answered yes to all these questions I just started off with, oh my word, if we could hit the ball out of the park on everything that happens, we might be a megachurch someday. We might. Probably not. You know what? There is so much to say about the Sunday celebration, and rightly so. Some of you guys give money every single week. And you know what? If you give money, you should have some say in what goes on here. Right? What color the carpet is. Uh, at least something like that. Or some of you have been here 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. Your opinion's got to count more than anybody else's opinion. You know? Well... I learned early in ministry that we often focus our energy on things which give us the greatest accolades. Which in a church, that really is program. Bells and whistles rather than intimacy in character. 
Now, some of the things I share in our church series, you're going to point out at our church or maybe some surrounding churches or maybe some other mega churches that you've been part of. But I think you've noticed over the time that we've been together, I don't bash churches. I don't. We have an unbelie- I have an unbelievable gratitude for so many of the churches in our area. I've learned from them. I've understood how to do things certain ways. And I'm grateful. I am. But I also know this. Is that almost every church is judged. On what they have. On the program. On the decor. On their worship band. Now, over the centuries, churches have reflected their their culture. And if I am honest with our culture today, our Midwestern culture, we as a people, well, we're often self-absorbed. We're harried, really busy. We're materialistic, and we love immediate gratification. Now, I'm not saying that's what our church is. But I bet there are some components that have snuck in to our church. I started off with an illustration last week about a cruise ship. And I sometimes think that all the churches in the area are trying to be the best cruise line in the midst of many cruise lines. You know, although we have our opinions, we gather this morning to hear what the Bible has to say about the church, the local family of God. There's always been a movement for the church to model and mimic the first century church. If you've been in any kind of church for any length of time, you will always hear this. Said, oh, if we could only be like the first century church, if we could only be like Acts chapter 2, if we could just be like them, oh man, God would bless it, and, and our church would just be amazing. But before we put the first century church on a pedestal, let me remind you that some of what the early church did was simply cultural, not biblical. If they had electricity, the internet, and technology, my guess is they would have used it, just so you know. We can learn much from them, though. But to jump only in that pool would not be wise or biblical. In Acts chapter 2, it was a time of great transition. A time, though, that I think we need to focus on. Last week, we read from Acts Chapter 2, starting at verse 36 to 41. Then later in the service, we read from 44 to 47, which describes how God's family operated out of the gates. Now, if you were really, really sharp, you said, Oh, that Pastor Rick forgot verses 42, 43. Hmm. Maybe he just had a, you know, lost his memory. Well, let me remind you what those said before we actually look into those verses today. In, in chapter 2, verses 36 through 41, Peter is standing up in this early church. There's at least 3,000 people there because we know at least 3,000 responded. So my guess is there were thousands more. And he's preaching a message. He's describing who the Messiah is. He's asking them to repent. He's asking them to receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. And 3,000 people respond. Then we jump to verse 44. And we talked, as many of you were here last week, and some of you caught the podcast, but the early church was family. Not to say the unredeemed didn't show up at times, but it was family. They were unified. They were unselfish. They were generous to a fault. They joyously met together. Every day at the temple, they met in homes for worship and for meals. 
They were enjoying God and each other. And the last part of that whole section, Luke, who penned these words, said this. God added to their fellowship every day. So it started off with 3,000. But I don't know how many small churches, I don't know how many places they went because it was a time when all languages were almost represented. So all over the world it was scattered, all these different churches began. But God added to the church every single day. Sweet. That is cool. God was doing something. God was working. But today I'd like to start. What did those 3,000 believers do? Where did they go? What did they do? Look with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me read for you. You can follow along in your Bibles, flat screens, or on the screen behind me. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Over an extended amount of time, the scriptures tell us that these early followers of Jesus devoted themselves, or if I could put it this way, were constantly engaging in four family activities. I'd like to look, or at least start, with these four marks or characteristics of the church in some detail. I think your hearts will be encouraged. I think you'll understand what is important about a church and how well we as Crosspoint might be able to not only line up, but make a priority in our fellowship. They were first devoted to the teaching of God's Word. The first mark of a healthy church is the expository teaching of God's Word. If you get this right, everything else flows from it. Now, 50 days after the resurrection, the most qualified teachers at that time were the apostles. They had lived with Jesus. They had served with Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And once that Holy Spirit comes, you are going to receive power and authority. And you are going to go out and make a kingdom impact. And they listened. But this early group of believers were committed to the apostles' teaching. And it was foundational for their growth and their spiritual health of every church. One of those guys, Peter, we just got through studying in his letter. He said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that it may... Um, help you grow in respect to your salvation. You see, the Scripture is food for the believer's growth and power. There's no other. The church cannot operate on truth that is not taught. And believers cannot function on principles they have not learned. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, The word is powerful. The word is sharp. The word is able to discern and teach. What about Psalm 119? Anytime I begin to wonder how important God's Word is, I will go, just like it's an aspirin, to Psalm 119. 175 verses talking about how wonderful God's Word is. How important, how critical it is. Jesus tells us through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 2, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts to those who tremble at my word. The teaching of God's word is priority one for the church. 
In fact, the priority of every pastor, including the one standing before you, is to faithfully teach God's Word. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul reminds his young pastor friend Timothy, and he says this, Focus on the reading of scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Tim, this is what I want you to do. Focus on the scriptures. There's going to be other parts that are really critical in the church, but your part, the Bible. 2 Timothy verse 3, 16 and 17. He says to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And listen to this last line. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's God's word that does the equipping. It's God's word that gives us the ability to be able to make a kingdom difference wherever we go. If we don't live in God's word, we will not be equipped. It would be absolutely ludicrous to hand someone a hammer and a saw who has never seen these before and say, go build a house. That's crazy. And you can put any kind of metaphor in there. We need to understand who God is, what his priorities are, how we live our lives every day. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. One of the last words that the Apostle Paul said before he died. He says, preach the word of God, period. Preach the word of God. Timothy You know what your main job is? Preach the Word of God. Timothy, when there's some other things that are... Wait, wait, wait. Preach the Word of God. Hey, Timothy, why don't you... No, no, no. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, let's face it. We all have different characteristics. The Word of God is a hammer, which sometimes disturbs us. The Word of God is a cool drink of water. A Word of God convicts. The Word of God encourages. The word, and I'm not even sure every day what I need. I'm so slow. But as I open up God's Word, He knows. Wager! why don't you listen to this? I'm slow, God. I'm slow, patient. Oh, Rick, you, you know what? You've been listening to me. You're kind of beat up today. This is, this is what I want to do. I want to just lavish you with my grace and my understanding and my love. You know what's kind of hard as you open up God's Word every day? What are you preparing me for today? It's not just the Bible. It's God, your dad, giving you an opportunity to say, hey, this is what you need. That's why God's word is something we need every day. Honestly, if there is a church and people part of that church, and the only time they hear God's word is Sunday morning, oh, my word. I just don't think you're going to make it. I I don't. But there is something about gathering together, hearing the total word of God for our congregation. It is the word of God that satisfies your thirst and your hunger and gives you perspective and wisdom and strength for every challenge. If you've been around here, you know John MacArthur is one of my favorite pastor teachers. He says this, God designed the church to be a place where his word is proclaimed and explained. 
I believe that the primary role of a pastor is to bring about total submission on the part of his people to the Word of God. Oh, whoa. Come on, John. A healthy church is eager to receive and obey the Word of God. Now, there's a guy named Hughes Old. You may not know of him, all right? But he's a sage and a theologian. And I'd like to share with you something he says about John MacArthur. I don't think I would say this about John MacArthur, but he says this. It's very interesting. Talking about John, if you don't know John, John, again, over the years, has been known for faithfully teaching God's Word, verse by verse by verse, way before it was even popular, believe me, okay, out in California. And this is Hughes talking about John MacArthur. He says, here is a preacher who has nothing in the way of a winning personality, good looks, or charm. Here is a preacher who offers us nothing in the way of sophisticated homiletical packaging. No one would suggest that he is a master of the art of oratory. What he seems to have is a witness to true authority. He recognizes in the scripture the word of God and he preaches. It is the scripture that one hears. It is not that the words of John MacArthur are so interesting as it is that the word of God is of surpassing interest. That is why people listen. Chuck Swindoll, another one of my favorites. When the church becomes an entertainment center, Biblical literacy becomes its first casualty. Mark Driscoll, pastor of the Mars Church, unbelievable church out in in Seattle for quite a long time before it kind of fell apart. He says this, We are to preach the Word of God, the good news of what God has done. Not merely good spiritual advice for better living. It is the power to save and to bring people to maturity. It is the power of preaching. And it does not come with clever stories or radical, uh, uh, rhetorical devices, but with the power of the Spirit and the answer to prayer. You know, when I read that, it reminded me of Paul himself. Paul is probably considered the greatest missionary of all. He wrote the most New Testament books. You would think, whoa, if I could just sit underneath Paul's teaching. Paul, at least according to tradition, was not very attractive. All right? He probably had a speech impediment that he stuttered. Now, it kind of blows your opinion, like, you know, the greatest missionary teacher of... But there was something different. And look what he writes to a church, kind of like the church in Las Vegas, the church of Corinth, the church that had more issues and problems that struggled with materialism like crazy. If there was ever a church that he should tell stories and, and be able to entertain... It would be the church at Corinth. And look what he says. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, um, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You know, as I begin to prepare this series, one of the books that I've been spending some time in is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Deaver. 
he puts expository preaching as his first mark of a healthy church. He says this, If we establish the priority of the word, we have in place the single most important aspect of the church's life, and growing health is virtually assured. Because God has decided to act by His Spirit through God's Word. I use the term expository teaching. And that may be new to actually some of you. Expository teaching means that you open up the Word paragraph by paragraph, line by line, and sometimes word by word. It is not a verbal commentary on a text. It is discovering truth together, unwrapping the context and the content of the Scripture, and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach, convict, and inspire with every word that's on that page. It is not topical. Now, here I am speaking topically about the church for three weeks. Now, topical can be expository if, if for some reason you understand the context in spite of all the different verses that are using. But most topical series are a marriage series or a stewardship series or a love series. Now, again, those aren't bad. They're really not. But what happens is that often we get man's opinion on these topics and you throw a verse or two in. And I'm not so sure that's the healthy way to look at the scriptures. There are also textual preaching, which often takes one text totally out of context, uses today's cultural meaning with the words that are there, and somehow get a message out of it. Oftentimes, you've used yourself, Philippians uh, 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Man, you've, you've uh, you know, said these words to your kids. You know what? I, I know you might not be able to make that softball team, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You know what? You might not be able to, and you put it in there, but you then shove that verse down their throat, and it sounds good. But actually what Paul is saying is that you're not going to be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You cannot climb this wall without a rope. I'm telling you, you cannot do it. He's talking about contentment in that area. And he's literally saying, I've learned to be content with every life situation. And I want you to know that you, because of Christ's strength, can do this no matter what your situation is. Holy schmoly, you put that into context and it just kind of launches. You mean it, God? I can learn to be content even though I look at my life and look at my salary and look at my bank account and look at my wife and you just uh, add all those things up. Go, whoa. But I can do that because God gives us strength. All right. In, a, in expository preaching, God, in my opinion, chooses the topic, not the preacher. In expository teaching, the whole of the scripture is addressed. Both the content, uh, content and the context is critical to understanding scripture. It is. You just don't point yourself to a verse and get a verse for the day to get you through it. It forces the teacher to listen. Some of you may even wonder what I do the other six days of the week. Okay? Well, the truth is this. One of my main responsibilities is to open up this, this Bible. And we normally go verse by verse. We just finished First and Second Peter. And, and I would look at the next paragraph or the next chapter, whatever it is, and I would read through it, and I would just ask this question, God, what is it that you want to teach us at Crosspoint, and what do you want to teach me? That's all I do. And I listen. So, well, how long do you listen, Rick? How long does it take? Like, come on, dude, I'd like a job like that, you know? 
There's a little more to it at times. But realistically, I feel so jacked on a Sunday morning because I get to be able to teach what God has said. Hey, Rick, this is what Crosspoint needs. This is what we need to hear as a family. And sometimes, as you know, it's one verse. Sometimes it's eight verses. Sometimes it's 12 verses. You know, when I first came, at, uh, you know, our, our dear ladies in the office, I think I actually drove them crazy, you know. Rick, what is your sermon title? Can you have notes? Have you noticed you don't get notes? Have you noticed that? This pastor is really slow, folks. Okay? If you get notes, it's probably not me speaking. All right? Because the truth is... <laughs> I don't know how everybody else works, but as I listen to God, then he, I focus here. And, and then as it marinates, something else comes up. And as it marinates, something else comes up. So even by Saturday morning, you would think I would have everything done. Dan Bayray walks in yesterday about 10.15. I'm in my study. He goes, you're ready for tomorrow? And I said, mm, almost. What do you mean, almost? I'm still listening, Dan. It's not coming clear. I've already taken half of my message away. I cannot talk two hours and 70 minutes tomorrow. It's probably good for all of you. All right? But again, what I can guarantee, you may not have the most flowery speaker. You may not have the most passionate. You may not have, I don't even know, you can put it in there. But I will say this, before God and before you, every week I sit down, open up the scripture and say, God, what do you want? And that's what I get up and teach. It's what you want God for us. You know, God paints a vivid picture in Ezekiel 37. And again, I, I think you just need to go to Ezekiel 37. Go to Ezekiel 37 for a moment if you have your Bibles. So many of you have either sung about the Valley of Dry Bones or you have known this story. But it's an amazing story. Ezekiel is a priest. He's deported to Babylon. The same time, more or less, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You all know that story for the most part. Israel didn't listen to God's word very well. God faithfully sent prophets over and over and over. And as a result, well, nothing happened for the most part. And so God says, I've had it. I'm going to deport you. You are going to go to Babylon in this situation. And when you go to Babylon, you're going to learn that I am God and you will listen to me. Well, Ezekiel listened to God. He was part of it. He was a priest. And, and he left with the rest of the Israelites at that time in 597. And he preached judgment and restoration. But eventually... Everybody was deported in 586. I know you're not into history, but that's important. After 586, when everybody was in captivity, they listened to God's word better. Do you believe it? They did. And Ezekiel, listen to what happens. Ezekiel chapter 37. And the Lord took hold of me. I know you only started verse 4 here, but I'm going to read a little more because I think it's good to read a little more. Okay. Um, the Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel said, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me around among the bones covered the valley floor. There were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. These, he said to me, son of man, can these Bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied. You alone know the answer to that. And then verse 4. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones. And say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. What a picture. Folks, there's nothing deader than bones. There's dead bodies. But there's really dead bodies with bones. And God says, speak my word to the bones. 
Now, because of time, you can read this, but all of a sudden, these bones gathered flesh. All of a sudden, they were restored. All of a sudden, because God's word came. And it was a prophecy, realistically, this is what's going to happen to Israel. But folks, this is more than a prophecy to Israel. This is what God's word does to every one of us. We are dry bones without God's word. And as we hear God's word, we become alive. We become full. You know, my dad, most of you know he was a pastor. He said a whole lot of things to me, but I remember a few, okay? One thing he said this, teach the word Rick. Don't miss a word cover to cover. And if you were in his ministry, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever he had the opportunity he would teach God's word. So what does this mean for Crosspoint? Are you saying we don't make it a priority? Actually, you do. You do. But I want you to know that here at Crosspoint, God's word is going to be a priority at every gathering. And that every time you come, I don't care if it's a youth minister, I don't care if it's a bro I don't care what it is, come to realize that God's word is going to be presented. And that you will be able to leave there transformed because of it. Let's watch hungry people have their lives changed as the living God speaks to them through the power of his word. Well, they also said the early church was devoted to fellowship. And I'm going to give you a new word today, or maybe a new word for some of you. It's called koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. Koinonia is struggling well with life together. Culturally, it often meant sharing meals with one another. It did. Uh, Some of you know a lady named Anne Ortland. And Anne, as I was reading through the scriptures, or as I was reading through some of the books to prepare for this, um, gave me an illustration of fellowship or koinonia. You see, most of us think koinonia is like a bag of marbles. All right? These are marbles right here. All right? They're nice and shiny and pretty, and, and you come together, and, and you say, you know what? I'm experiencing koinonia. You know, I um, am with my brothers and my sisters, and, and we're together. But you know what the problem with marbles are? They never kind of combine. They're all very shiny. They never kind of come together. They're just a bag of marbles. She said koinonia is more like a bag of grapes. All right? And when you come together with a bag of grapes... They're not that shiny sometimes. Uh, Things get messy sometimes. You start into each other's lives. And holy schmoly, man, look at this mess. Folks, this is koinonia. All right? This is involved with one another. And now I've just screwed up everything and wrecked my whole Bible. (laughs) The shirt is less important than my Bible. Sorry. Okay. I have these nice wipes. I didn't think through this that well, did I? (laughs) But you know what? Koinonia is something. It's not a bunch of shiny people coming together. It's a bunch of real people. As you get together, sometimes you bleed, and sometimes you squirt, and sometimes it gets a little bit messy, and you got to pull towels out and clean things up. You know, koinonia... um, is a place where believers stimulate one another in holiness and faithfulness. It's most specifically expressed through the one another's. Every one of you that received a bulletin um, got a handout. It's called the one another's. And, and honestly, as you just take this, you can put this in your Bible. It's that size. You can go through his devotions. But this is what the church does. But the church doesn't do that technically in this arena. This is still way too big to, to understand koinonia. 
So what does this mean for Crosspoint? Well, Crosspoint has an unbelievable reputation of being friendly. But friendly isn't enough. It, it just isn't. Um, koinonia happens, or discipleship happens in koinonia. It's the forming of missional communities or growth groups or, or triads. It's people coming together in groups of six or eight or ten or groups of 40 or 50 where you know each other intimately or groups of three, triads, three, all right, where you open up God's Word and there's intimacy. Now, now granted, there are so many people that love being part of Crosspoint. And so many people are cared for. But there is a piece of koinonia missing. It's, it's kind of like saying, hey, you know what? I've got 27 different cousins. And if I ever need anything, I can call them. And my cousins, whoa, they're going to be there. That's probably true. Blood. You know, that's how it happens. But if your family has four or five in it and something happens, oh my word, do you do anything for them? And that's really how it is. There's going to be, hopefully in the future as we talk about this, some missional communities, groups of 30 or 40 that come together and praise and worship and, and, and are part of each other's lives in a different way. Not just kind of bumping uh, with each other on a Sunday morning. Okay? There's going to be others that want to be part of growth groups. And I know in the past there's been part of that. Where six or eight group people are meeting together and, and it's every week or every month or, or deciding and you live life together and you struggle well with life together. And there's some even that might say, you know what, I, I just need two other guys. And we're going to open up this word and we're going to just dig in and, and we're going to figure this out. We're going to live life together. And I know I got these two guys and they're going to be praying for me. And they're going to be in my face. And they're going to teach me when I go a different direction or a wrong direction. Or when I tell my wife something, they're going to be right there and say, you know what? You treated her like a jerk. What's wrong with you? But that's struggling well with life together. That's what this early church did. And I just want to point this out. We're looking for a director of this ministry. We don't have these going on right now. Some of them maybe want to even be in charge of that. You saw, every one of you saw a service board walking in. And although that's pretty classy looking right now, and we had a bunch of ladies just use their skills in an unbelievable way, What's really going to happen is that there's a lot of ministries that are going on. And next week, we are going to dig in deep there. But there is one section over there called discipleship. And maybe some of you might say, you know what? I want to be part of this. Yes, I want to serve each other. And you may even say, Rick, I, I even have experience with small groups or whatever. Maybe I'm a good director. You can do that. But over this week and next week, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to be talking about on how the body functions together. You know, they were also devoted to worship. To worship. You know, right now, that certainly happens during the Lord's Supper. It even mentions it. But during the Lord's Supper, we reflect, we give thanksgiving, we have conviction. We ask God to reveal to us areas that we need help in. But it's an adoration of God. You see, if, again, you're newer to our fellowship, um, we've got a greeting time in the beginning. But there's a time we call the call to worship when a verse or two or three are being read. And at that time we stand, and it's kind of like a trumpet call that says, we are beginning our worship time right now. And it goes all the way to the very end when the pastor or somebody reads a verse at the end and says, this is the benediction. Then we have some other family business, announcements at times or whatever. But between the call to worship and the benediction, we are dedicating ourselves to the worship of God. We want to be able to share a clearer view of who God is. We definitely, as you look at the scriptures, and even as we sung today, 
God, in the good times, in the bad, we want to acknowledge that you are on the throne. We want to be thankful. We've got some, some verses here, but in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, be thankful for everything. When we see God clearly, we fall down. Start noticing as you read the scriptures how many times when people encounter God that their response is to fall. No matter if you just got through walking on the water and you get back in the boat and everything's calm, all of a sudden, boom, all the disciples are down flat on their face in Matthew 14, worshiping God. Oh, oh, I didn't see that part of you, God. I didn't know God does this. I didn't know God. Oh, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. So what does that mean here at Crosspoint? Well, let me tell you. Worship here is huge. It's about adoring God. We're all in process. We're all learning. But I want you to know, too, it's not about style or method. I guarantee with a family this size, if some of you could have jazz worship, you'd be in heaven. If you could have just him worship, oh God, we finally arrived. We got this thing with bongos and drums and holy schmoly, like what the heck is going on? Did I just say that? I didn't mean that. I don't know, but I know this, is that we're family. We're going to have some diverse things that happen. And we're going to worship differently. And I want you to know this. If you're going to hang out here, I bet you're going to grow in worship. Rick, you are never, ever going to see me lift my hand. No way, man. Call me Straight Jacket Rick. Well, that's good. Except that if I saw you at a football game, all of a sudden, some of you might go, Ah! Did you see that play that was unbelievable, that catch? I cannot even believe that that dude did that. Someday, you're going to see God like that. And all of a sudden, you go, ah, Sometimes tears. You know, I've got to be honest. I'm not a good performer. And what you saw in the beginning was not anything other than I was overwhelmed with those three lines that we sung. And I'm hoping that we get overwhelmed at times. I'm hoping sometimes you fall to your knees. I'm hoping sometimes you just raise your hands. I'm hoping sometimes the tears are just falling that you can't even sing. And I think we're all going to grow. That's all. We are. And then lastly, oh boy, I knew this was going too long. Hang in here. They're devoted to prayer. You know, sadly, prayer is a much neglected activity in the church today. Programs, concerts, entertainment, or testimonies of the rich or famous draw large crowds. Prayer meetings, on the other hand, attract only a faithful few. I'm sensing this is undoubtedly the reason for much of the weakness in the contemporary church. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm really not. But when I know scriptures say pray at all times in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. In Colossians 4.2, Paul says be devoted to prayer. Prayer teaches us dependence on God. Prayer forces us to say I'm not in control. God, I'm coming to you. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your... I, I need you, God. So what does that mean here at Crosspoint? It means two things. Prayer will be part of our gatherings. You will see it in every worship and, and celebration time. We'll have shepherding moments. We'll have times before. We'll have t uh, before the message, times during the message, times after the message, times after the service. But prayer is going to be part of it. Sometimes we petition. Sometimes we cry out. Sometimes we confess our sin. But we just talk to God. And prayer will also be a focus of 
a gathering. And right now, it's the oh, just second Tuesday? Is it second or first? Second. Thank you. Thank you. Much sharper than I am right now. Um, the second Tuesday of every month, we gather as a church. Last time we met, I just want you to know, we had people who showed up and walked in every room of this church. We walked out in the parking lot. We walked out by the sign. Do you realize the sign is our greatest tool of bringing people in right now? I don't know if that's sad or happy, but I'm just telling you that's the way it is. We went out to the fire pit. We went to the trailer where there's going to be winter retreats for our high school kids and and junior high kids. And we prayed every one of those places and said, God, would you do some amazing work this year? I don't even know. I don't know how many Iwana kids are going to come out. I don't know how many Clay kids are going to come out. I don't know who's going to make a decision. Right here today in this room, there were people spread out everywhere just pouring their hearts out. God, would you come and work? Would you do something? Would you break our hearts? Would you give us your heart? Would you help us see the lost? Would you help me care for those people who just learned who you are and would we we guide them and direct them? We prayed for our parents. We got new parents. We got old parents. But we prayed. And I got to tell you, there weren't a lot of people. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I just think we're missing out. We're missing out. The danger... Of just reading Acts chapter 2 is feeling like that's what church is. Next week, if I could just share with you how important it is for you to be with us in this whole series. And I think there are times in our life when Acts chapter 2 happens. I love it when we go on mission trips. We live together, we work together, we pray together, we fellowship together, we have meals together. No wonder mission trips change lives. I love the times we spend at camp all summer long with high school kids. We eat together, we pray together, we work together. We get crabby together all summer long. Those are Acts chapter 2 churches. But I'm pretty sure last time I noticed, none of us live together. Well, some do. Work together, eat together, do all those things. But maybe, maybe we can grow in these areas. You see, the early church was devoted to four. Four important practices. We are the church. But there is so much more to a healthy church. And next week, we are going to look at that. What family roles are there? Where can I make an impact? What is it, God, that you want me to do? This isn't some recruiting like we're short in some areas. Yes, we're short in some areas. That's not why I recruit. I share with people the opportunity that they have to use their gifts to a place that will jack them up and make a kingdom difference. I want to go home tired every single day from ministry. I don't want to go home weary. I want to go home tired because I've expended myself using the gifts that God has given to me, so grateful for the pillow and really happy to hit it. That's what I want. I think that's what all of us want. On the way out, you are going to get a handout. Now, again, it's not going to make much sense to you, but it looks something like this. It might be a different color. It's called Crosspoint Church Ministries. We just want you, as you leave, to take one of these and put them in your Bible. Start looking at it. Start praying about it. Next week, this will just begin to cause you to begin to marinate, be able to think of different ministries that actually are going on, and and we're going to be able to share some of that next week. But our God is so amazing, and His church is so much more than a building and program. 
We're all having questions. But one of the questions I just want to ask is this. As we kind of pray and, and move on, what would happen if our church reflected a little bit more of what the early church saw as priorities and God would add to this fellowship daily. What would happen if we ended up with three or four hundred people in here in six months? What would happen if our high school group hit 80 and our junior high group did? What happened to Juana? We wouldn't even know where the heck we put them all. There's 150 little rugrats running around learning God's word. I'll say, Rick, you're such a dreamer. I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a dreamer. God adds. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day you've given us. And I thank you for the reminders of what is important in a church. And, and God, there are areas, all these different areas that we just need to look at. Lord, we love you. And we know there's some areas that we need to grow in. We know there's some areas we need to convict or, or, or to confess. We know there's some areas, Lord, that we're doing so well and just need some encouragement because we're tired. But we're just going to look to you more than ever. Father, we're excited about who you are and what you have for us, but we're really excited about what's going to happen at the church. Your body, your family... God, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>